Welcome back to our 100th podcast. There's only one proper way to celebrate this landmark, and that is, of course, to do a discography review for the grandfathers of heavy metal, the one, the only, Black Sabbath. You know the framework for our discography review podcast by now. Uh, We attack each album in chronological order, provide a short review and rating uh, for each, along with a smattering of tracks along the way to demonstrate the change in the band's uh, uh, sound over time. In Sabbath's case, we have 19 original material albums to cover. We don't cover compilations and uh, live albums. So to keep the podcast as close to an hour in length as possible, I'm going to include snippets of tracks this time rather than our uh, customary full tracks. So strap yourselves in because the Sabbath story takes us way back to 1970 with the album that is considered the first heavy metal album ever produced. Of course, we're talking about the self-titled Black Sabbath album. Uh, So immediately we see uh, Ozzy Osbourne on vocals, Tony Iommi on guitar, Geezer Butler on bass, and Bill Ward on drums. Uh, So it was played live and recorded in one 12-hour session. Uh, At the production chair, we have Roger Bain, who also produced Judas Priest's uh, debut, Rockarola. And it was engineered by uh, Tom Allum, who would go on to produce Priest's most popular records in the 80s. So there's no debating the historical importance of this album. It represents the birth of heavy metal, uh, in my opinion. So, you know, there were proto-metal songs and albums that pre-exist this album, but here is where metal was officially thrust on the world. Um, Not only that, the opening title track utilizes a slow tritone uh, interval, a riff uh, effectively becoming one of Doom Metal's proto-tracks. So highlight tracks here would be the ominous harmonica-driven The Wizard, uh, Wasp Behind the Wall Asleep, and Oh Yeah! N.I.B. Uh, That said, there's an undeniable loose bluesy quality to this as a result of the second side of the vinyl, though. Uh, including the meandering 15-minute A Bit of Finger, Sleeping Village, Warning, uh, which closes out the album. It simply comes across like the band was a little short of material um, as they took some liberties in jamming out to flesh time expectations of the album. Uh, So this is not the fully fleshed out Sabbath that we would soon come to know and love. Uh, but here is a young band trying to break out of its blues tendencies, uh, but clearly reveling, uh, reveling in the process. I get this album a seven. Here's behind the wall of sleep. most revered and best-selling album comes early in their career with the sophomore Paranoid issued later the same year in 1970. 
So this has gone four times platinum in the US, uh, platinum in Canada, only gold in the UK though, I don't know, I understand that. Uh, definite improvement in sound and, and good to hear the band uh, dropping most of the jazzy jamming qualities found on the debut. Uh, the blues influences are still obvious, but the, the band is stretching out further and creating its unique sound and with it the heavy metal blueprint. Uh, highlights for me would be the midsection pieces of Electric Funeral and Hand of Doom, which break out of the slumbering, lumbering main premises, and, and the fully fleshed out and relatively more up-tempo fairies wear boots. However, I'm going to go against the grain here, as I never really understood the love affair with this thing. Uh, finding it overall to be too slow and ponderous, I'm going to say it, it's, it's overrated. Uh, personally, I've heard of War Pigs and Iron Man to death, and the title track is, is a little too straightforward for my liking. Uh, in my opinion, none of these three tracks come anywhere near the band's top 25 songs, in my opinion. Uh, do people forget that this album includes the psychedelic yawn-inducing Planet Caravan and that uh, Rat Salad uh, filler, complete with drum solo? Eh, I give this a 7 out of 10. We turn the calendar to 1971 and thus begin the golden era of the band with the release of Master of Reality. Uh, from the coughing that announces opener Sweet Leaf through to the concluding marauding Into the Void, uh, this was where Sabbath sound and vision become fully realized. Uh, specifically, it's where the genius of uh, Tony Iommi's riff writing and delivery become blindingly obvious. Uh, there's no less than five of the band's best riffs found here, uh, along with various beautiful segues and one fully formed track uh, provided as uh, respite before the band pummels us into submission once again. Highlights for me would be the blubbering after forever, uh, the stomp of children of the grave. I, I like the um, orchestrated embryo that sets it up as well. Uh, the loping lord of this world and the threatening into the void. Uh, weaknesses, none. This is a beyond classic 10 out of 10 record. No more jazz, no more jamming, just head crushing power juxt uh, juxtaposed by some delicate passages. Timeless. So here's after forever. forward one year to 1972 and out comes volume four uh, what I consider to be one of the three greatest records of all time uh, along with ACDC's Let There Be Rock and Slayer's Rain and Blood uh, so out is Roger Bain uh, with Iomi taking over the producer chair uh, re reportedly recorded in a cocaine field haze uh, here's another example where drugs seem to elicit some uh, band's best work uh, refer to Aerosmith for another example um, 
So I can I can understand why Volume Four isn't the darling of the Sabbath catalog, given its lack of radio hits and overall despondent vibe. Uh, but to me, this record sounds like a heroic effort by the band to fight back depression. Uh, Ozzy's stark melodies mixed with Iommi's monumental riffs evoke visions of the band forcing themselves to get off their asses and get to work despite being bleary-eyed and fogged to brain. So when the smoke clears, we're left uh, with some of the band's deepest album tracks. Uh, so faves would include Supernaut, uh, the weightiest riff of, uh, of the entire catalog, in my opinion, uh, the doomed Cornucopia and St. Vetus Dance, uh, along with the crushing concluding Under the Sun. Uh, so some may point to, uh, to changes um, the ballad as the weak link here, but I always found the stark simplicity and beauty of the p uh, piano befitting of the vibe of the record. So obviously this is a 10 out of 10 beyond classic record again. Uh, here's St. Vitus Dance. Another Sabbath album, uh, in this case 1973, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Uh, so couched in one of my fave album covers of all time, front and back, uh, reflecting a nightmare dream duality scenario, uh, is the third classic album in a row from the originators of heavy metal. Uh, so tales of in-band fighting and Iomi writer's block here, uh, but the end result makes these uh, insights inconsequential. Uh, so Faze basically can go through everything on this album. So side one um, starts off with the phenomenally riff title track with its dirge-like midsection and Ozzy's bog blast all of you admonishment. Um, the forlorn, uh, a national acrobat, the whimsical fluff, uh, and then the concluding headbanged sabra cadabra. Then you flip over the vinyl as I used to uh, on the side to uh, killing yourself to live with its boogified ending uh, the weird and slightly psychedelic psychotic uh, who are you and followed by the underrated deep album cut looking for today so this is the most experimental record um, of its extended repertoire incorporating tons of synthesizer movements uh, courtesy of Rick Wakeman of yes fame uh, even including some flute and strings 
So if, if Volume 4 was the band violently fighting off depression, uh, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath represents the veterans fully giving into their drug-induced hallucinations. A monumental achievement here. Uh, again, 10 out of 10. Here's the title track. to 1975 and we see sabotage is issued uh, album name so reflecting the band's ongoing legal battle with a previous manager uh, the anger reflected in the overall aggressiveness here so backing away somewhat from the experimentation of sabbath bloody sabbath sabotage is really a brutish record chock full of some of ioni's hardest riffs uh, sure, there's some acoustic segues of old are found here, um, but there's no question that overall there this was an unhinged Sabbath laying on a beating. Uh, listen to Hole in the Sky, Symptom of the Universe, and Megalomania and be crushed under its fortified wheels. That said, the band does force the listener into a drug-induced fog on some of the tracks. Uh, the likes of Thrill of It All, Am I Going Insane, and Superzar forcing you to wave clouds of uh, bong smoke away as you try to interpret the music. Uh, altogether, this is a harrowing record that uh, takes turns and bashing you over the head and then making you scratch your head and wonder. Uh, so this concludes what is, in my opinion, the greatest four album run by any band of all time. Um, here's Superzar. <laughs>
So ends the golden era and we're going to be moving into what I'm going to call the burnout phase uh, which happens over the next two albums. Uh, so first up is 1976's Technical Ecstasy. So uh, clearly on a decline commercially, uh, Sabbath was the first, uh, Sabotage was the first album since Paranoid not to go platinum in the States. Um, the band was in disarray, Aussie contemplating leaving and the unit unsure what musical uh, direction to take. And here you have Bill Ward singing It's Alright, <laughs> sounding a bit too Beatles for a Sabbath album in my opinion. And the lush and light She's Gone, uh, not bad, just just odd. Uh, that said, there's, uh, this album is, is better than most people I th uh, think. Uh, there's the strong opener, Backstreet Kids, uh, the Forlorn, uh, You Won't Change Me, which houses some of Iommi's best lead guitar work ever. Uh, there's a batch of relatively melodramatic tracks sporting some of Iami, uh, some more of Iommi's uh, great guitar work. Uh, check out You Won't Change Me and Gypsy. Uh, team with more traditional rocking fare like Rock and Roll Doctor and Dirty Women. Uh, so whereas Sabotage comes across like a combative Sabbath, uh, Technical Ecstasy evokes images of a championship uh, boxer, weary and beaten, desperately holding onto the ropes. In the end, though, they retain the belt with an unexpected but wholly deserving performance. Uh, it took 21 years for this album to go gold in the U.S. In one word, underrated. I give this a 7 out of 10. Here's Backstreet Kids. to 1978 and outcomes Never Say Die. Uh, so the Never Say Die writing sessions begin with Ozzy leaving ex-Savoy uh, Brown belter Dave Walker taking over the vocals. However, just before the recording sessions were to begin, Ozzy returns, uh, forcing a last-minute uh, change to the lyrics. Uh, so looking at it song by song, all of side one is hearty Sabbath fare, albeit a little depressing given the dulled production and circumstances surrounding it. Uh, the up-tempo and uh, boogie-fied title track, the grinding Johnny Blade, uh, the introspective Junior's Eyes, and the loping Hard Road. Over to side two, uh, it starts off well with the primetime riffage of Shockwaved, uh, followed by the hard soft air dance, uh, a heavy riff juxtaposed by piano sections finally going all out jazz at the end, a brave and unique track. And then it's back to the pounding Over to You. Uh, things get a little strange at the end though. Uh, Breakout becomes an instrumental because Ozzy refused to sing over it, ending up sounding like uh, early Chicago with its preponderance of sax. Uh, not a bad thing to these ears. Uh, the album comes to a conclusion with the Bill Ward song Swinging the Chain, Ozzy once again refusing to approach the mic. So overall, uh, Never Say Die is perceived as a failure given the state of the band and the fact Ozzy was to leave after the tour for release. 
But if one were simply to sit down and listen to it, uh, this is yet another classic from the band. Uh, sure, there's a dis uh, despondent vibe to it, but the songs don't lie. Uh, to me, Never Say Die is home to a shitload of the, the band's deep album cuts. Uh, ignore it your own peril. I would give this an 8.5. Here's Shockwave. Turn the page to 1980, and Ozzy leaves for good this time, opening the door for Ronnie James Dio of Rainbow fame to take over the mic. Of note, uh, Martin Birch takes over the production chores, providing the band with a polished but heavy sound. Uh, the result, a record that is one of the cornerstones of any Metalhead's record collection. Of course, we're talking about Heaven and Hell. So uh, here we have a seemingly more mature Sabbath, sounding cleaner, but still rhythmically furious. Uh, check out Geezer Butler's bass, especially uh, throbbing clearly here. Uh, encased uh, herein is also some of uh, Iomi's most enduring riffs, and his soloing on, on Closer Lonely as the Word is simply sublime. Uh, of course, having a vocal talent of Dio's stature now plugged into the machine only made the transformation even more obvious. Uh, it, it was clear that the band was having fun again, and the confidence in the material seems to jump out from the back cover painting. So everybody knew immediately this was a classic selling bucket loads. Uh, the band was essentially reborn. Uh, no need to talk about individual tracks, you know them all. That's simply fantastic, 10 out of 10. Here's Wishing Well.
striking while the iron is hot the band returned one year later in 1981 with yet another classic release mob rules so out unfortunately is bill ward with Vinny apathy reportedly sliding in effortlessly given that he was a huge fan of ward and already knew all the drum parts uh, this was a darker heavier record coming across like a, a, a cross between early sabbath and heaven and hell um, riffs play a more prominent role here in the tracks like Voodoo, Sign of the uh, Southern Cross, uh, Cracking Skulls, the band Happy to ride the riffs to their battering conclusion. I gotta mention Iomi soloing on over and over once again, closing out the album with some of his best fretwork. Um, to offset the mid-tempo uh, stompers though, the, the band injects some speed through the opener Turn Up the Night and the title track, uh, while Country Girl lightens up the mood lyrically. Uh, but to me, it's uh, falling off the edge of the world that is the hidden gem here, uh, housing one of Iomi's most gargantuan riffs of all time, uh, right up there with Supernaut, Children of the Grave, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, and the like. Positively crushing stuff there. Uh, so once again, a perfect 10 out of 10. Uh, the band coming across is unstoppable at this point. I saw them twice on this tour, and the oral pummeling they brought each time it was indeed impressive. Here's falling off the edge of the world. we find Dio and Apice gone after infighting between band members over the engineering of the live evil record from the uh, Mob Rules tour. Uh, surprisingly, in is Ian Gillen of Deep Purple fame, uh, taking over the vocal chores after a particularly heavy drinking session with Iomi and Butler uh, convinced uh, Gillen that it was a good thing to do. Additionally, great to see Bill Ward back in the fold. Originally, this album was uh, trashed <clears throat> uh, by fans and critics alike. Uh, most common complaints being the muddy production and Gillen being the wrong guy for the job. However, uh, some love seems to be growing for this record as more time passes. So yeah, the production here is not as clean as the previous two records, uh, but I never had a problem with it, uh, finding it suited the heaviness of the tracks, uh, somewhat evoking similarities to uh, Sabotage for me. Uh, and complaints about Gillen ring hollow to these ears. Uh, the man putting a, uh, in an astonishing performance, howling up a storm throughout. Uh, to this day, I still consider his vocal on the title track to be one of the best performances at the mic in recorded history. Uh, brings shivers down my spine every time I hear the damn thing. Uh, highlights, uh, the rollicking opener trashed, uh, the punishing uh, Zero the Hero, the storming digital bitch, and, and the title track, of course. 
However, you know, even the, the deep album tracks like Hotline and Keep It Warm are just top-notch stuff. So yeah, I know that I'm likely in the minority here, but I consider Born Again yet another classic 10 out of 10. Uh, one of the heaviest records of the Sabbath discography, just an amazing record. Uh, here's Digital Bitch. <laughs> Stable years continue as the Born Again lineup is totally blown up for the 1986's Seventh Star. Uh, so, uh, in fact, uh, Iomi wanted to call this a solo project, but was convinced by the record company to issue it as Black Sabbath featuring Tony Iomi instead. So, at the uh, mic here is another Deep Purple alumnus, this time being Glenn Hughes, uh, while Dave Spitz provides the bass and Eric Singer pounds the skins. Uh, also, uh, a change at the production chair is Jeff Glitzman uh, st uh, steps in. So once again, I, I believe this is yet another underrated release in, in the Sabbath uh, canon. Uh, sure, it's definitely different from past releases, uh, containing a melodic hard rock feel rather than heavy metal. But the songs here are simply amazing. Uh, there's the two up-tempo rockers, the, uh, the uh, opener in for the kill and turn to stone, along with the heavenly danger zone. And there should have been a radio hit, No Stranger to Love. Uh, tons of deep album tracks uh, can be found here, though, as well. Um, I always love the closing trio of uh, Heart Like a Wheel, Angry Heart, and In Memory. So uh, 34 years after its release, I still find myself reaching for this album and listening to and enjoying every single track here. Fabulous performances here by Hughes and main man Naomi. Uh, so really going against uh, convention, and I'm sure there's going to be some snickering, uh, but I'm going to give this one a perfect 10 out of 10. Here's Angry Heart.
1987 for the Eternal Idol. Uh, here I am, he blows up the band yet again, only retaining Eric Singer at the drum kit. Um, uh, adding bassist Bob Daisley, ex-Blizzard of Oz, Rainbow and Yara Heap, and also enlisting Dio-like vocalist Tony Martin at the mic. Uh, so originally recorded with Dave Spitz on bass and Ray Gillen on vocals, um, uh, it was subsequently re-recorded. Um, so the CD reissue includes a version of the album with Ray Gillen singing. So here's another hidden gem of an album, easily the best of the Tony Martin vocaled albums in my opinion. Uh, some huge riffs here, uh, the monstrous opener, The Shining, Hard Life to Love, uh, and Glory Ride, and that's just from the first side. Uh, on to the second side, the opener Glory Ride provides yet another masterful riff, um, while Nightmare reminds me of something off of Never Say Die. Then there's Scarlet Pimpernel uh, that provides one of those short acoustic interludes uh, made f uh, famous during the early era of the band's work uh, before Lost Forever goes up-tempo and sinister. Uh, so shout out to Bob Daisley for some very tasty bass work here as well. So I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. Here's Lost Forever. <laughs> over to 1989 <clears throat> and out comes Headless Cross. Uh, out is Eric Singer and in is Cozy Powell on drums. Uh, so this one's highly rated by many a Sab fan as the best of the Martin era albums. Uh, I would disagree finding this lacking in uh, face melting power compared to the previous uh, Eternal Idol. Uh, more gothic sound takes uh, takes place here. Keyboards push forward in the mix, taking away somewhat from Iommi's rhythm guitar sound. Uh, altogether, it's just too slow, too melodramatic for my taste. Um, it's re less reliant on riff taking Sabbath too close to the rainbow formula, in my opinion. Um, that being said, there's some fine Iommi lead guitar work here, and uh, there's nothing wrong with Martin's vocal. But the bottom line, though, is I never, ever play, play this thing. And spinning this again as part of this discography review only solidified my thoughts about this. Uh, no thanks. I give this a 5. Move forward to 1990 and out comes Tear. Uh, and despite retaining the same lineup, uh, Tear finds the, the band moving slightly from the gothic goo of Headless Cross, allowing Iommi's guitar to have more bite here. Uh, so there's Anno Mundi, which happens to be the best of the gothic metal fodder from the two albums, uh, while The Lawmakers is a straight-ahead metal pounder, uh, Heaven in Black is a deep album treat, and Valhalla proves to be a great sing-along ditty. Uh, better sounding album, too, uh, contain, uh, containing a brighter, less muddied mix. 
meanwhile, though, uh, feels good to me. While not a bad track, seems misplaced here, uh, being a little too radio friendly for the rest of the album. So overall, though, not a great record, uh, but one that is fits more closely into the overall traditional Sabbath sound than the previous Bladder. I'd give this a 6.5. Uh, here's The Lawmaker. to the Brain Mob, uh, reforming the Mob Rules lineup uh, for the 1992 Dehumanizer release, uh, so most importantly having original bassist Geezer Butler back, as well as Metal's fave little guy, Ron Ronnie James Dio. Uh, so overall, the, uh, this album lacks the brightness and confidence of Heaven and Hell or the impossible weightiness of the Mob Rules. Uh, coming across as laborious in a few spots, uh, too few fast ones, uh, only TV crimes and computer god uh, raising the blood pressure, and uh, too many lumbering tracks uh, refer to letters from Earth and Master of Insanity. Uh, that said, Side 2 is much stronger than the first side, containing deep album tracks, Sins of the Father, The Heavy as Hell, Buried Alive, uh, along with the fan fave Eye. Bottom line, though, is that there's pockets of greatness here, but it's just too inconsistent. Uh, so there's no question that Dehumanizer is leaps and bounds above the previous two Tony Martin platters, but I'd say that the Eternal Idol is superior. I'd give Dehumanizer a 7.5. Here's Buried Alive.
Apathy uh, leave once again, leaving room for Tony Martin to return uh, to the mic and Bobby Rodinelli to take over the drone kit for 1994's Cross Purposes. Uh, so gone are the gothic overtures from Headless Cross and Tear, replaced with more of a straightforward approach akin to the stellar The Eternal Idol Platter. Uh, good news to these ears. Um, first side highlights would be the cruising opener Eyewitness and the riff-heavy Psychophobia. Um, there is uh, the plodding, unremarkable virtual death and dying for love, uh, an unsuccessful attempt at another single a la No Stranger to Love. But lo and behold, though, side two is chock-a-block with deep Sabbath tracks. Uh, there's the melodic Back to Eden, uh, the crushing the hand that rocks the cradles, which is really falling off the edge of the world, part two. There's the cashmere-influenced Cardinal Sin, and it concludes with Evil Eye. Uh, that sounds like something off of Born Again. Uh, so this was an album I really appreciated when it came out and continue to revisit since. Uh, an underrated album. Uh, I, I rank as the second best Tony Martin era Sabbath album, slightly uh, even better than Dehumanizer. Uh, quick note, uh, the Japanese version includes What's the Use, an up-tempo top-notch uh, top track that should have been included in the album proper, not sure why they didn't, uh, worth uh, searching out for sure. I'd give this album uh, an 8 out of 10. Here's Psychophobia. Uh, Geezer and Rod Nelly leave, allowing the tier lineup to regroup, i.e. Um, bringing back Neil Murray and Cozy Powell. Uh, so this album was universally panned uh, upon its release. Uh, seems the connotations of having body count guitarist Ernie C. producing and Ice-T adding a rap section on the opener, The Illusion of Power, didn't sell, uh, set, sit well with uh, longtime fans. Uh, and in fact, uh, Iomi and Martin subsequently both panned this album as well. So I always considered uh, this to be the nadir of the Sabbath discography too. Uh, however, after re-listening to this album in Reading for this discography review, I found an album that has some hidden treasures there. Uh, yeah, sure, the production job is flat, uh, but there's no hiding uh, some of the highlights here. On the first side, you got uh, Get a Grip, uh, which is a solid late-era Sabbath pounder. Uh, there's the fabulous Can't Get Close Enough and Shaking Off the Chains, uh, an atypical atonal track for the band. Onto the second side, there's the slow blues of Sick and Tired with some fabulous Iomi Lee guitar work and the uh, upbeat Rusty Angels. 
and uh, as well uh, there's a fine Japanese only track called loser gets it all so yeah uh, it forced me to reassess and now I find for me that the headless cross is actually the worst album in Sabbath history um, I get this one a 6 out of 10 Sabbath as a recording entity was put in mothballs after the ill-received forbidden record uh, with Oyomi and uh, Butler reforming the mob rules lineup uh, to tour and issue music under the heaven and hell uh, moniker uh, until Dio's death in 2010 but lo and behold Ozzy subsequently returns to the mic for the band's final album uh, 13 some 18 years after forbidden uh, unfortunately, the original year Sabbath lineup was not to be, though, as uh, Bill Ward wouldn't take part. Uh, instead, Rage Against the Machine's Brad Wilk takes his place at the drum kit. Uh, the result is a great-sounding record full of well-articulated rhythm section work from Geezer and Wilkes, uh, but a production provided by Rick Rubin. Uh, Eleven tracks were recorded during the sessions with eight on the album proper and three leftovers included uh, as bonuses on Spotify. Um, so this one uh, hit number one on album sales charts in many countries. Uh, it, it was enthusiastically received by longtime and new fans. Uh, personally, though, I didn't share the enthusiasm at the time, finding it too slow and ponderous, uh, finding many of the songs too long and overall lacking in tempo and emotional variations, making it a tiring lesson. Um, it's hard to shake off the despondent, doomed aura that pervades when listening to this thing. Another issue is that the three Spotify tracks are amongst the best of the songs, uh, containing a bit more velocity and excitement. Had some other tracks been relegated to the bonus position and, and these ones sprinkled within the album, um, I think the overall vibe would have uh, been improved immensely. Big mistake in my opinion. Uh, so. That being said, uh, there are some highlights like the end of the beginning, a loner and methodemic uh, standout due to the relatively better riffs and lead guitar work. And uh, Age of Reason uh, has an upbeat midsection and a good Iomi lead, uh, while Zitgeist um, is also one of those pretty interlude tracks from the early album. Um, this one stretched into a full four minute plus minute track. Uh, all being said though, the bottom line is that I never play the thing. Um, it's just too overlong and, and, uh, and plain. I'd give this a 6 out of 10. So that's it. The Black Sabbath uh, discography reviewed in just over an hour. Just a pinch over. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, remember to join us again next Thursday for our uh, upcoming podcast and check out our uh, website, www.themightydecibel.com. Have a great one. Bye.